This week on Foodstuffs. We take a peek into the often secretive world of breastfeeding. What treasures await the new mom? It's very empowering to be the sole source of nutrition for your baby. Right. Like to be the sole person to provide them comfort and food and contact and security. It's very empowering for women. And to give that up, it's very, very emotional. This is Jenny Vaughn. I'm a lactation consultant, and you're listening to Foodstuffs. Welcome to Foodstuffs, a podcast about food and culture and their intersections. I'm Brian Goman. And I'm Jessica Walker. So today we are actually talking about the original superfood, breast milk. Um, this is a topic that has become pretty near and dear to you, I guess, by necessity, Brian. Yeah, for sure. I probably knew a few tidbits about breastfeeding before we had rye. Uh, for example, I knew that oxytocin was released when a baby breastfeeds, helping mom and baby bond. Knew that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However, with even all the pre-reading that we had done before the baby came, it was still a bit of a rude awakening for us, especially, of course, for mom. It's a powerful and emotionally charged topic, I've learned. It's full of little surprises that nobody wants to tell you about. Some of those things are, I would say, horrible and scarring. <laughs> And some are so amazing and beautiful, they sort of make me believe and see the universe in a completely different way. I, I think I can see that. You know, it's something super primal that we all have access to, although it is, has been interesting for me to be learning about the female's experience of giving birth through you, a man. <laughs> um, but when we get into the topic, it's quite... Yeah, you start questioning your place in time and history and oh, the universe. Oh man, you look at everything differently. <laughs> wow, like I'll give you an example of something I learned about uh, breast milk. Simil and I were just talking about it the other night because we were going to be doing this. You know, as you know, when babies are born, their immune systems are basically they're at they're not developed at all. Base they're very level. yes. They have almost no ability to fight off germs, right? So that's why you have to keep them very like sterile, like mm-hmm. super sterile for the first year. Yeah, their weeks, world right? is very small. No, yeah. not too many strangers walking around. Of course. And they rely on mom. As they get everything from mom, really. They rely on mom's breast milk to give them antibodies. And especially even if mom gets sick, it's actually a good thing because mom's body will produce antibodies and they'll give them to the baby through their breast milk. And now the baby has them. So when they get sick, they're at least a little more ready to fight them off. Right. But what I learned is it's actually two-way. So if baby gets germs, those germs go back to mom as well. Now mom's body produces the antibodies again and sends them back to baby to fight them off. Whoa. Yeah, so it's it's a pretty... The mother internet or something. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. I just think that's amazing. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay, so who are we talking to about breastfeeding? I presume this is the topic today. This is the topic, yes. As we discussed, yep. Uh, We're going to be talking to Jennifer Vaughn, who is a registered nurse at Sick Kids Hospital here in Toronto, as well as a lactation consultant and a mom who has gone through the joys of breastfeeding (laughs) herself. That sounds good. Okay, so here we have Brian speaking with nurse and lactation consultant Jennifer Vaughn. 
breastfeeding and breast milk have wonderful benefits, both for the baby and for the mother. In terms of the baby, we know that there's less incidence of pneumonia, viruses, upper respiratory infections. Um, as babies get older into adulthood, it can protect them from chronic illnesses. The benefits also include environmental ones in that you don't have to use any kind of plastic or appliances to feed your baby. It's cost-saving. It costs about $5,000 to formula feed a baby a year. And when you can make your oh own God. milk or nothing, I think that builds a compelling argument right there. Um, in terms of the mother, it certainly helps you with your healing post-delivery. Right, um, yeah. The release of oxytocin helps the uterus go back to normal more quickly. Um, in terms of mum's protection from diseases down the road, women who breastfeed are less likely to develop certain cancers later on in life. In terms of more benefits for the baby is that it's, it's so easy for both of you. You can do it anywhere, anytime. Your supply is custom made for exactly what your baby needs. You don't need to bring anything with you. You can travel with your baby. Um, yeah, just lots of great attributes. Sounds pretty amazing. So, and to me, again, this falls in a line of things that just sort of make sense. It's natural. We've been doing it for thousands of, of years, right? So... Of course. But I think there are some things around breastfeeding and around parenthood that I've discovered and every new parent has discovered that there is sort of like a called like a sort of secret society of parenthood. I think breastfeeding, there's a lot of stuff that sort of falls into the sort of these secrets that you get to find out just as they're happening or just before they're about to happen that nobody wants to tell you about. One of them we've got to find out. Again, maybe this is something that people know, but until you go through it, you don't really get to know exactly how difficult it is. But breastfeeding is really hard. It's really it's difficult. Very, very difficult. And I always say it's difficult for a couple of reasons. One is because we can read the books, go to the classes, have all the knowledge, but the babies don't read the book. They're, they don't behave <laughs> yeah. in the way you expect them to. People always ask me why I became a lactation consultant because I had a horrible time breastfeeding. Absolutely awful. I didn't want to do it. And I was a neonatal intensive care nurse, and I was all about breast milk and breastfeeding. And then I had a baby, and oh it was a God. completely awful experience. I had issues with latch. I had cracked nipples. I had a baby that had colic. She cried and cried and cried, and I wanted to stop. And I met with my best friend, who was also a nurse, and she told me, well, you have to breastfeed. So I stuck it out. Right. But I'm so glad that I did. But I completely understand how people can be at the end of their rope with feeding the baby. It is extremely difficult. And nothing can prepare you for how hard it is. Another thing I think we learned was that, again, it makes sense. What you eat as a mother goes into your breast milk. And I think when you people think about this all the time, and and I know Jess and I have had, had these conversations about pregnant mothers, especially first time mothers, being very worried about what they're eating, and knowing that that could have a, a a real effect on the baby, and there can be catastrophic effects, and you're so worried about it, and you think I can't wait to have this baby so I can go back to my normal diet, and then you find out, oh wait a second, that's actually not the case either. Can you talk a little bit about how moms need to be careful and why moms need to be careful about what they eat and what kind of effect that can have on them? Um, yeah, there's 
certain people have different theories about how the food you consume as a mother affects your milk. And if you think about how milk is produced, it, what you're eating doesn't have a huge influence on it because, you know, the nutrients diffuse across the cell membrane from components in your blood, and then it goes into the mammary, and then the components in there take place to do the production of the milk. So I always, myself, if my baby was crying and had colic, people were always saying, Oh, did you have tomatoes? It was the tomatoes. Did you have some dairy? Exactly. Were you drinking a lot of dairy? Oh, it's bread. You can't have bread. And everybody felt that it was what I was consuming. So you're constantly juggling and taking what you're eating and removing things from your diet and adding things in because you're thinking that's affecting your milk. And then somebody said to me as well, if that was the case, you know, all the babies in a certain country where they eat spicy food all the time would be screaming their heads off, and they're not. So, you know, you wonder how much of that is influencing what you, the com- composition of your milk. But this is the kind of feedback you get from people, and this is where you start to second-guess yourself, and it undermines your confidence as a parent when you're feeding your baby because everyone expects to feed the baby and it goes to sleep. That doesn't seem to happen when you're breastfeeding. They want to eat every hour, on the hour. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're waking up and they're, you get bad feedback from people. Well, and yeah, and people have differing opinions on what's the right thing, what's the wrong thing. And you get it. I mean, again, you have a baby and you get it from every angle. Every angle. <laughs> the well-meaning mother-in-law, the best friend, the neighbor. The, your baby's crying all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you have to sort of take what works for you as a family and see what works. That's actually one of the other benefits of breastfeeding is that you really get to know your baby. You get to know their cycles, their feeding cues, you know, to feed them before they're actually fully awake and screaming and crying. So it's really uh, that intimacy that you develop when you're nursing your baby. And there is actually, again, and I think some people are aware of this, a chemical that is released during breastfeeding that does sort of bond you and baby. Yeah, and I think it's part of nature has made it pleasant to breastfeed your baby. You get a release of oxytocin, and that's right. our feel-good hormone, and it makes you helps with your milk production and helps with your letdown of your milk, but also makes you feel pleasant as you feed your baby because mm-hmm. you makes you want to feed the baby. It's part yeah. of that whole. There's this whole cascade of hormonal changes that take place in your body to prepare you for producing milk. Yeah. And you have that time, too, with the baby. Yeah. You get that time, and you get it a lot. I mean, you get it 8, 10, sometimes 12 times a day in the in the first uh, few months, right? Where, I mean, again, it's a struggle, but hopefully it gets to that point where, it you know, it is a pleasant experience. Did you find as a father that you didn't get enough time with the baby because your wife was breastfeeding all the time? A little bit. I mean, I did find, like, right away I got good time like in the first couple of weeks, because, you know, mom has gone through hell. She needs some time to recover. So all she can really do is breastfeed. The rest of it is sort of on dad and grandma and whoever else is around. So at first, yeah, I felt like I got that. And again, the hospital we delivered at, they really preached skin to skin. Good. Right. Okay. So I got a lot of skin to skin. This for non-parents out there, skin to skin is exactly what it sounds like. It's your baby naked or whatever, your yeah. your baby's skin against your skin. And that, again, sort of bonds you. So I did feel like that. But then as time went on, yeah, I mean, there's no denying that 
mom and baby have a sort of a special relationship. Absolutely. So we're painting this nice, wonderful, pleasant picture and breastfeeding and breast milk is certainly wonderful and it has all these amazing components to it. However, the other side of it is not everyone can breastfeed. Yeah. Like we said, breastfeeding can be very, very difficult. The other thing, we have a a concept in North America that I always say to people when they're pregnant and they talk to me, and then I say, how do you plan to feed your baby? Are you going to breastfeed? And they say, well, I'm going to try. It's not this, there needs to be a new paradigm that sort of breastfeeding is the extension of the pregnancy. The baby's just on the outside now, but you still are the one that provides all the nutrition for the baby. Right, this is the fourth trimester, some people call it, right? But what happens when that doesn't work for a woman? Or it can't happen, like look at all the babies in neonatal ICU. It's Mm -hmm. months and months before they can even have the skin-to-skin contact with their parents, let alone feed at the breast. Or women who... um, I always find the biggest influence of women deciding to breastfeed or not is the experience of the other women in their life. If their mother had a difficult time, my mom didn't have enough milk, my sister couldn't produce, they've already gone into it with an attitude that maybe this isn't going to work for me. And that's okay. The other thing is some people don't want to do it. Sure. And they have to say, well, it didn't work or I couldn't. But that's fine. As a lactation consultant, it's up to me to help support your family and find the best way to feed your baby because really we put a lot of pressure on when women actually feel like failures if they're not able to breastfeed their baby or don't want to or things didn't work out for them and I I think that's unfortunate because I like everyone to try but if it doesn't work out for you there's other alternatives out there and no one should ever be made to feel lesser for doing that yeah and like you say sometimes it is a matter of you tried and it didn't work out for one of one reason or another. The other side of it is, like you say, some women decide. This is not what I want. This doesn't fit with, again, maybe it's, again, that balance of career and, and family life. And I know, I mean, Canada, we're fortunate that we have long maternity leave. In other places, certainly in the States, we know they have ridiculously short uh, maternity times. But even if mom, I mean, that's still a choice. Mom might say, yeah, I get it. I can take my six months I can take my year but I don't want to I want to go back to work after six weeks or eight weeks and sometimes again that you feel you can feel really judged by other absolutely moms there's real societal people. pressure around it which like I said it's unfortunate that people feel like that but that's a reality so for the women who are trying and it is difficult what kind of support exists for these people there's he said, you can go to your family doctor, but a lot of physicians don't have hands-on experience with breastfeeding. You can always seek out the lactation consultant. They should have support in the hospital where you deliver, and you can always go back thereafter. Community resources, La Leche League. I personally found Starbucks to be the best place <laughs> where you meet mums, any kind of coffee shop in your neighborhood that are on maternity leave at the same time of you. I am still friends to this day, 20 years later, with women that I met on my maternity leave. Wow. Because it's part of that community and talking and sharing. and It's the support of people you know already that you have someone to talk to. There's also support online and chat groups are good as well. 
well. But I think having a friend who's going through the same thing is the best support you can get. I love those little community groups of moms in the neighborhood. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Well, that's the sort of the, the positive side of sort of like we say that sort of secret society or that secret club is that, again, you are sheltered from a lot of the bad, but also... Once you're in, now you have such common ground with people that might be very different from you in a lot of other ways, but you have that in common. Yeah, people you never would have met otherwise that you meet through your children, that you'll make wonderful friends from having a baby. You're on maternity leave, so you have that time together as well that you can see each other probably every day. Yeah. Yeah, finding a little network is very important Mm -hmm. to support each other. The North American idea, and I think... uh, perhaps without thinking about it, what we have in our heads here is that there is an age where it's a little weird or there's something, it's just too old to be breastfeeding a child who is over a certain age. And what that age is, some people think it's a year or a year and a half or two years. But if you look at historically what the average has been, I think it's like two to seven years. And still now, globally, I think the average is somewhere around two and a half years or three years where people will breastfeed until that age. Here, it's much shorter. Where does that come from? And what can that sort of lead to if parents decide, you know, I, I want to, I actually do want to, to feed my baby until they're two or three or whatever. Yeah, there is a real uh, culture of closet nursing in this country. I think last year there was a Time magazine cover and it depicted a young boy that was probably four or five standing up nursing from his mother and it caused a lot of controversy i think people have issues with children that can talk that have teeth that can walk and that is still breastfeeding so a lot of women will stop breastfeeding but there's also ones that will still do comfort nursing at night you know to settle your child to get them off to sleep but they don't talk about it because a lot of people will judge them if they're still doing it If you look at it from an anthropology standpoint, the natural weaning age is four to seven because you think hundreds of years ago, it allowed a woman to control the number of children she could have because it does, if you're exclusively nursing, you can control your menses and you won't have a period or get pregnant. So that weaning age in our society is much, much younger. Right. allows you to space okay. your children out a little bit there. The World Health Organization would like to see people breastfeed for two years, and six months seems to be the standard. I think a lot of people, once they start solids at six months, tend to start weaning their children. But um, a lot of people will tell you, yeah, I'm still nursing, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's interesting. And you, you briefly touched on this Um the fact that when you're breastfeeding, there's different things happening in your body. And one of them is your ability to get pregnant and there's lots mm-hmm. of hormonal things happening. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. In terms of you can not get pregnant if you are exclusively 100% breastfeeding, not introducing any bottles and nursing your baby at night. I don't recommend it as a form of birth control. My children are a year and a half apart. (laughs) (laughs) So I was still breastfeeding my first child when I was pregnant with my second child. Mm -hmm. Planned, of course. But uh, yeah, there's certain things, like I said, from an anthropology standpoint, years ago, women knew they could control the number of children they had. They actually fed other people's babies to keep their milk supply right. up, which now people would be horrified to hear, <laughs> but it was certainly something they but did. But I think, I mean, there are some people I, I, I know that 
you see a baby sometimes as a as a mom and you have this response right uh-huh. and that certainly like i know even with your own baby especially that again even you hear your baby and you will have like a physical response absolutely in- the, the the hormonal and physical almost a visceral response you have to your own baby crying yeah. or just having being around babies is in women is very very powerful I was thinking about, I grew up in a farm, and that was one of my earliest sort of influences with the association of lactation and attachment. We had cattle, and my father would breed the cows, and there came a time when he'd have to take the calf away from the cow. And I remember laying awake at night and hearing them bawling and crying for each other. I remember it was anguish to me to listen to that uh, how upset that parent was of being separated from their child and that's what women go through yeah i want to talk about that i mean that's i've been reading a little bit about that and certainly we're uh a ways away from from this but that last feed like i hear sometimes you know it's coming mom has made a decision or the family has made a decision this is when we're going to stop or you're you're weaning them off but sometimes it's it's the baby or the toddler that just says Oh, I'm done. But can you talk a little bit about what mom goes through and maybe baby as well, what they go through after that last feed, after it's over? Yeah, we've talked about, I I mentioned to you about how having a child is a series of losses. First you give birth to them, then you have to hand them to someone else, then someone else looks after them. And relinquishing that, it's very empowering to be the sole source of nutrition for your baby. Right. Like to be the sole person to provide them comfort and food and contact and security is very empowering for women. And to give that up, it's very, very emotional. And like you said, sometimes it's planned. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you can sort of tell your milk supply is dwindling and you know you're getting near the end. But that day when they don't want to breastfeed anymore, it is. It's, there's a little bit of a pang because you feel like it's over. What was it like for you, though, the after that last it's funny you mention it because i remember it perfectly i can tell you exactly the moment i can tell you what my child had on the day she didn't breastfeed anymore it was such a significant event for me i can't say i was sad but i was aware of a change because you are so bonded with your child at that point and again she was you know a year old at that phase but i i said i can remember it perfectly because it's a very significant event It's an end of a a chapter for sure. And that was Brian speaking with Jennifer Vaughn, a nurse and lactation consultant here in Toronto. So I know how I feel about this. This is a lot of this is learning that I've experienced over the last three, four months. Right. right? Um, But what about for for you? What was what's your reaction? This is a topic that. I'm so shocked with how many places it's taking me based on my experience, none of which is actually being a mom. Sure, yeah. Um, So I took anthropology in school, so I'm thinking about it on a cultural, societal level where, you know, when you get into it, you think about North America. Jenny was saying to us that it's pretty interesting that we are one of the only cultures in all of history that has ever, you know, favored putting your most precious family member down the hallway away from you when it can't take care of itself. 
it goes into the social work that I was doing, or not me being a social worker, but I worked for a social worker doing research before I moved to Toronto. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs stuff. So we're talking right. about your basic quintessential needs, which is food, water, shelter, um, warmth. Yeah. Um, shelter is actually not 100% basic necessity for continuing to live. Shelter is actually one up from that. Um, safety and security and shelter. Um, and then from there, you know, you can start to create bonds and relationships, have friends outside of just your family. And then from there, you can, you know, have enough safety and security to feel like you can um, provide something to the world. You can, yeah, have a sense of accomplishment to become an adult. And then from there, you get the opportunity to be who you d dream of being, who you who is your essential self, et cetera. Um, so when I think about that, ne necessary to all of that is the first and foremost, a sense of safety and security that you are safe and, are, and you are protected and you have what you need to then think beyond just food or think beyond just security and safety. I, this, I know this is a little bit rambly, but basically in that conversation, what you had highlighted of what you like Jenny saying, which is just that motherhood is a series of losses. It's interesting because as someone who, again, has never felt something like that, the companion piece that I can access that from is um, getting to hear uh, a speech when I was in Nova Scotia by a fellow by the name of Stan Kutcher. Um, he was talking about how children from birth are learning from their parent, their mom, how to self-soothe. And when I hear you saying a series of losses, I can imagine the emotional toll of feeling not needed anymore. But that is the most important thing you can be doing for this person is for them to feel safe, but also free to move forward and like do something a little bit more on their own, have a little more independence, have a little more agency, all the while being sure-footed, knowing if worse comes to worse, you come back and I'm, I'm safe and I'm, I'm with my mom again. I'm rambling, but is this meaning anything to you? Yes, I think, I, th I think it is. And I, I think you're right. I think for you worked with people that were further down the line that were maybe having issues right. because they didn't have that to begin with. Exactly. Stan right? Kutcher was giving this talk at yeah. a foster home. Right. Which exactly. is exactly. So we're talking about all of the kids that didn't have someone in directly in their life. Someone who like taught them how to stay calm and level headed. Um, it's self-soothed. Like but I you, said, like you say, this is, you can't get there without first having that base. Exactly. Right? And, and so base, we're talking about these yeah. really big things that I care so much about and right. bring up all of the time, but I couldn't this have predicted this coming right. from a conversation about breastfeeding. Exactly. But once I, you do think about it, it makes complete sense. And I think for whatever reason, in North America especially, we have this mentality that we don't want to coddle our children too much. Mm -hmm. We want them to be independent. We want them to be strong. We want them to be tough. Right. But for them to get there, they have to feel secure. They have to ha be confident. Yeah. And uh, Jenny and I uh, touched on this, the, the idea of the fourth trimester. So mm -hmm. everyone knows about the three trimesters of pregnancy. The fourth trimester happens in that three months after birth, where your child needs you just as much as they did before. The yes. only difference is now they're out of the womb. Exactly. But they still need 
you to nurture them, to love them. They still need to hear your heartbeat, which right. is why where that skin to skin contact exactly. really comes in. Even if it's not from mom, it's from dad, because that has been a soundtrack to their whole life. Exactly. That's the environment that they've been used to. They've been used to an environment that was warm and dark and moving around. And now all of a sudden throughout in the world and everything is different and they need you for that transition, exactly. right? And uh, it was put to us that in that time, you can't over love your child, yeah. right? And I think we have this fear as parents that we're going to become this generation of, I like to call them diaper sniffers, people that are like <laughs> obsessively worried with their children and they're lo- looking into everything. And I, I do think that, that we get to a point where Yes, we are coddling our children, and yes, we are preventing them from becoming strong, independent people, but not at two months. Right. Not at three months, right? They need us at this time. And there's a lot of judgment Mm -hmm. from other parents, from other people, from some people that have had um, children, people that haven't had children, that you're doing it the right or wrong way. And it's a very difficult and confusing time. But the biggest thing is that you need you need to be there for your child. Yeah, you absolutely. have to. And it is a natural, very natural thing. And um, breastfeeding is a very difficult thing for mothers to go through. Some have it easier than others. And I feel sometimes people can't do it. Yeah. And that's really tough. And I really feel for those mothers. And I can't imagine whether it's by choice, mm-hmm. as we mentioned, or, you know, you tried and it didn't work. Um, there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of shame. And those are difficult things for a mother to carry around with them. This is a moment in history that has never existed before. And when you think about, yeah, both parents working in Canada, we are privileged enough to have extended maternity leave. Now paternity leave is in the mix. What a blessing, Mm -hmm. because recently on KCRW, uh, a show there, they that we love called Good Food. They right. were having a conversation about breastfeeding as well, just by chance. I listened to that after you told me you were doing right, this yeah. interview. Um, and hearing the situation for uh, a country that has, what, two months paid maternity leave? Two months paid maternity leave is the impact of that is really, really intense. And those who have options are privileged. The vast majority of people don't have an option. So that's such a tough position to be in. And yeah, it's only within the last, what is it, 70, 80 years that that has really come to the fore of mothers going back to work, which is something that I, of course, am so happy for and thankful for that, you know, I get to have a fulfilling career in my future. But there is an impact there. Yeah. This when is we have again this conversation, those, it's undeniable that there's yeah. an impact there. And this is, again, one of those scenarios where there is always going to be some level of d- double standard, mm-hmm. right, when it comes to genders, because... You can't. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can't I can too. feed a bottle. Yeah. I can stay home with a kid. Mm-hmm. You can right? skin to skin. I can do a, a lot of stuff, and I... I take it very seriously and I love the time that I get to, to have with my child but there's a relationship that I'll never be able to have mm-hmm. right and so that's a little sad for me mm-hmm. it's a little hard for, for a symbol because she's the one that has to pick up that slack and it's tough and it's hard on her and she's going to go back to work and then what mm-hmm. and 
you know, it's we're we're not the same. Mm-hmm. We are two different genders, and it. I think it's a really interesting conversation that we we live in a place now, thankfully, where women have more opportunity than than they ever have, and they're seizing that opportunity. But it doesn't come without trade offs, mm-hmm. right? And this is one of those trade offs where, okay, well, you have to be willing to accept that this is this is part of what you're giving up, right? Mm-hmm. And men don't have that mm-hmm. right like it or not there's some things that we can't ever do and there can't ever be you an equivalent in, you can't sub no. in on this level <laughs> no and on that note i just want to backtrack a little bit i'm just really all of the you were saying about how, how parents keep these conversations to themselves it feels taboo in some way mm-hmm. i'm happy we're having the conversation as someone who is outside of the space i think it's important that we all have the conversation that the judgment stops stops it just stops but yeah just support you know sharing stories and helping rather than judging Mm -hmm. that's the only approach that i can take at this stage all right that was another episode of foodstuffs thanks this week of course to jenny vaughn nurse at sick kids hospital lactation consultant and super mom that's right thank you as always to ken stauer and eric betlam from ciut we're in the map room again we love it thank you so much and we have some exciting news that we should mm-hmm. well maybe we shouldn't s- yeah say. we're not gonna yeah listen up next week for the full details there's something coming up christmas eve stay tuned foodstuffs related clearly um pretty excited about that um yeah we'll get into it in more details next week listen up i think that was an effectively vague tease (laughs) doing my best of course one of the places that you can um look for information about this show is on social media (laughs) that is correct that's what they tell me instagram twitter Mm -hmm. at foodstuffs life facebook by searching foodstuffs We also are on the web at foodstuffs.life. You can download the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, um, any other podcast app that you could possibly dream of. And you can always stream us on SoundCloud, our home. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Brian Goman. And I'm Jessica Walker. 